Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. So we're in this series, we've been in it for three weeks now, and it's called You'll Be Glad You Did. We've talked to singles, we've talked to um, young people, you know, students, and uh, today we're going to talk to couples. Next week I'm going to talk to those of us that are over 40. Today I want to talk to couples, and I want to give you a little heads up, it's going to be uncomfortable today. It's going to be a little awkward. It might especially be awkward for the men in the room and probably not in the way that you're thinking right now. I don't know what you're thinking, but it's probably, you probably aren't anticipating what I'm going to say because it's going to be a little different. But I will tell you this, I would feel exactly the way the men in the room are going to feel if I were you and I were sitting out there and somebody like me was going to get up and and give this talk. So Um, Ladies, let me help you understand why there's going to be so much tension in the room this morning. Uh, Ladies, we as men, we don't like to be wrong. So that's one thing that that I would say. And you don't have to, ladies, don't say amen to that or, you know, no elbows. You may have heard a man grunt a few minutes ago going, yeah, don't like to be wrong. We don't. We don't like to be wrong. We don't like to be told what to do. And we especially don't like being told what to do in our relationships by another man, okay? We, that, that doesn't go over good with us. And so the problem there is that today I'm the other man. I'm the guy up here telling you know, some dude how to um, have a better relationship with his wife. And I'm going to give you one thing that I want everybody to do. And as a guy, I don't like it when other guys try to tell me what to do. And it can kind of get on my nerves. And then there's this last one, last but not least. We want our wives to think that all the great ideas are our ideas. That's what we, we want them to think. The male ego is such a, a, a strange thing, and it's the male ego that is going to create the tension in the room this morning as we talk about really just this one idea today that I'm going to give us, and, and if you do it, you'll be glad you did. And I'm just going to tell you right now, when it comes time for the one big idea, you're not going to want to do it, okay? I'm telling you right now, you're going to hear it and go, ah, we don't need to do that. I'm telling you. It's the secret sauce, the secret sauce, okay? So, but I'm not going to tell you right away. Now, ladies, I know that when you look at a list like what I just showed you, you think to yourself, what is wrong with you guys? You know, it it just, and and I don't really know why we are the way we are other than that God made us this way. I think in the beginning it probably was a good thing, and then sin came along and it distorted it and made it a bad thing. Anyway, men, here's what the ladies in the room are thinking, at least in relationship to the list that I just showed you. When they see that list, here's what they think. They think that we are wrong most of the time. In fact, they would say they know that. They think that we desperately need somebody to tell us what to do. They think that we wouldn't need another man to tell us how to run our relationships if we would just listen to our wives And then last but not least, our wives know that our greatest ideas were really their ideas and they just let us think that they were our ideas. So before we jump into the message, I just have to get the tension out of the room because this message is going to head towards creating some tension and it's going to, it's going to, there are going to be some awkward moments. So no elbows, no, you know, none of that. Don't make eye contact during the sermon. Um, no uh-huhs or, or extra loud amens, you know, that's really not directed 
for the rest of us, but directed at your spouse. None of that, okay? We're just going to kind of all listen together. And if you're single, I'm glad you're here because I want you to hear this before you get married. If you're maybe headed toward being married, maybe you're engaged even, I'm really glad that you're about to hear this. If you're just starting out on your um, era of marital bliss, I'm really glad you're going to get a chance to hear this. Um, maybe you don't know if you'll ever be married. You need to hear this too. But I hope that you've met your, your soulmate. In first service, I almost said cellmate. I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> I hope you'll listen today to the message because it's going to make a tremendous difference in your relationship. It's just one thing, and if you will do this one thing, you'll be glad you did Now, if you're here today and you would say that you're not really a religious person, you don't maybe go to church all that much or you don't know, maybe you used to be or maybe you're here and you're just kind of trying to figure it out or you you don't know what you would say about you. Um, Maybe you're in a relationship with someone and and, uh, married to a strong Christian and and they've kind of dragged you to church today. Uh, Today's message is going to help surface why maybe there is tension in your marriage and in your relationship. So now that we're all scared to death, <laughs> um, let's proceed with the message. At least I hope you're not bored to death at this point. So before I give you the one thing, and I promise I'm going to give it to you, I, I got to kind of set the table a little bit and give you some context for what we're going to say. Otherwise, you won't understand just how important the one thing is. If I told you what it was up front, A lot of you would go, oh, that doesn't make a difference, and that's not going to make any sense for me. But let me just kind of set the table. Before we get started, I want to talk about the concept of mutual submission, okay? Mutual submission. Mutual submission is the most powerful relationship dynamic that there is. Um, Mutual submission in a relationship means I'm here for you, and you are here for me. That's what mutual submission means. It's, I want to defer to your happiness, and I want you to defer to my happiness. I'm going to defer to your needs. I want you to defer to my needs. And, and um, I want you to be caring about what I think about and what what's, makes me happy, just as I'm going to do the best I can to do that for you. And, and so um, it, it sounds something kind of like this, maybe. If you had two people that understood mutual submission— it's almost as if you kind of want them to argue, but in a good way. Like you said, no, you go first. No, you go first. No, I insist you go first. Wasn't there, weren't there skunks or squirrels or chipmunks or something? Chipmunks, yeah. And they used to argue back and forth. No, I insist you go first. I mean, in a good marriage, that's kind of what it would look like, is that they're, they look like those two chipmunks that are just constantly insisting, no, I insist you you go ahead of me. Where do you want to eat? I don't care. Where do you want to eat? And then, you, you know, 30 minutes later, you haven't eaten anywhere because you're both trying to be so deferring to the other. So in mutual submission, I want to submit my authority, my power, my resources, my time, my happiness for my spouse, and he or she wants to do the same in return. And, and it's a beautiful, powerful thing. Now, if you're wondering, I, I, I didn't just make this up. This has been in the New Testament for a long time, and Jesus models this. And at the end of the Christian message, some of his followers wrote about this. Uh, specifically, Paul writes about this. And, and in the book of Ephesians, he's got some things to say. If you've got your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick up around verse uh, 21, Ephesians 5, 21. And I would tell you, as you're finding that, anytime I do a wedding... 
I always read from this passage. And when I'm doing the pre-marriage counseling, I always tell the, the woman, especially, that, that I'm going to read from this passage. And then she's, so a lot of times she's not familiar with what it is. And so I'll read it to her, and you can see her shaking her head like, I don't want you to read that. And so I'll explain it to her and explain what I'm going to try to say in the wedding, and then they feel a little bit better about it. Um, but this is a passage that is often misunderstood, has been used completely out of context sometimes, and um, it, it, you're going to understand why. But it starts in Ephesians 5.21 when it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is actually a setup for his writing on how a Christian marriage works. So right out of the gate, he says, before I tell you what the roles are for the man, and before I tell you what the roles are for the woman, before we talk about how to be a wife, and before we talk about how to be a husband, um, and and every, in in, in that kind of relationship, it all flows from Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he gives the specifics, and the specifics, when taken out of context, get people into trouble all the time. I've heard th- this, these passages preached and just completely <laughs> annihilated. Um, just like, what is that dude thinking? Um, because he gives a wife a, the wife a very specific thing, and then he gives the husband a very specific thing. Um, in other words, if you were to say, Paul, what does, a, what does marriage look like? Paul would say, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And Paul says, wives, Here's what it looks like for you. And we come to Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. In fact, there's a place where it says submit to him in everything. And I always tell people at weddings before I get into this, please don't throw a shoe at me until I get a chance to explain to you what, what he's trying to say here. It's not submit yourselves to men in general. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. Now, husbands love this verse. The problem is, husbands, this is not written for you. This is written for whom? Wives. It's written for the wives. So whenever a man brings this verse up, we've got to remember that it's not written to a man. There are other things written to men that men need to focus in on and pay attention to, but this verse isn't one of them. This verse is written to women, and men do well to just kind of stay away from this. You do really well not to quote this to your wife, okay? Just telling you right now. And and men should be really careful when it comes to this verse. This is how a wife submits herself in mutual submission in a mutual relationship. And, and, And then he goes on and he says, husbands... Here's how you submit yourself in a relationship of mutual submission. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, that is a really high standard, isn't it? That's a pretty high standard. He died for the church. So men, the, the standard is really high. In fact, I've looked at women and said, if all I had to do was submit to my husband, I'll take that any day over having to die. Because what we're called to as men is we're called to die to ourselves, to Christ, and in essence also to our spouses, our wives. And and it's a high standard. And and wives really love this verse to which I would say, wives, it's none of your business. This is written to men. This isn't written to you. And you need to go focus on your verse just as the men need to focus on their verse. And when husbands and wives understand that the goal is not to power up on my spouse, okay, okay, 
I've seen that happen in, in marriage relationships where it's like, no, I'm going to have the power in this thing, and it becomes all about the power. If that's the goal, it, it's not going to go well. The goal isn't to get the other person to do what I want, but the goal is to somehow take my time and my resources and my talents and to defer and submit to my spouse as she does for me. And then you have a relationship of mutual submission. This is the most powerful relational dynamic on the earth. I want to show you a diagram. The idea is that these two people are mutually submitted to one another, okay? They're serving one another. They're, they, they, they give to one another. They, they want what's best for the other person. And they do that entirely under the authority of God. So they're serving God, but they're also... Um, that wigged me out just then. I didn't, I've never seen that. You guys probably see that all the time. I'm like, I didn't put that in the slide. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, I'm in such trouble. So, so, the man and the woman are serving and submitting to one another. They're doing this entirely under the authority of, of God. So that's the idea. Two people serving each other. Um, putting each other first and putting God first, submitting to God, submitting to each other, serving each other. And ultimately, and this is the power of this, ultimately they are accountable to God. See, when Dee Dee and I got married, I understand that Dee Dee is always going to put God ahead of me. I want her to do that. I wouldn't want it to be any other way. She, she expects the same from me that I'm going to put God and my relationship with him before my relationship uh, with her. And, and again, there are bumps in the road for all of us, and we've got things that we need to learn, and nobody's perfect, but this is the ideal. The ideal is I'm going to defer, I'm going to serve, I'm going to use all my talent, whatever comes my way for your well-being, and you're going to do that for me, and ultimately we are accountable to God. One of my elders one time went off to a, a marriage retreat, and uh, when he came back, I was asking him about the marriage retreat, how it went, and he was glowing reviews on this retreat he went to, and he said, you know what I learned? And I said, what did you learn? He said, I learned that my job is to outserve my wife. Think about that. I learned my job is to outserve my wife. Can you imagine what your relationship and your marriage would look like if that was the goal all the time? That if you were out all the time to outserve your spouse, we wouldn't have near the issues we had. You know, um, so this is the ideal. This is the model. This is why if you're dating somebody, if you're single and, and you're dating somebody and you come up to me and you say, oh, Brett, he's a Christian. I'm going to say, it's not enough. And you hear that and you go, well, what do you mean it's not enough? I mean, dude's a Christian. I mean, how much better can it get? See, dating a Christian is not enough what you want is a Christian that understands that he or she operates their life under the authority of God. But he's a Christian. Yeah, but he treats you like something you find underneath a table at McDonald's. I mean, he may, you know, he may have said a prayer once upon a time and received Christ into his heart. He may, he may wear a label. He may have a name that says Christian. He may go to church, but... He's not operating under the authority of God because he's not treating you well. You know, a little girl comes up, oh, you know, he's a Christian. No, rethink. It's got to be more than that. You know, 
the guy dude comes to me and says i've met this really great girl and she's a christian yeah but she's manipulating you she's constantly manipulating you and 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 she you know yeah she's a christian and you say so obviously she's not operating under the authority of god if she's treating you that way i mean what we want is more than just he's a christian i mean if you really want success in your relationship it it, they've got to take some of this stuff seriously and especially what we're talking about today this is not about leveraging something for yourself this is about serving someone under the authority of god that's what this is about now for this to work this requires massive massive amounts of humility and the problem there is that humility does not come naturally for us you know what comes naturally for us self-preservation that's what comes naturally for us we're going to we naturally do what it takes for us to survive and achieve and get above and get ahead of everybody else. That's kind of that's how we, we, we are wired and how we go about this. It's about defend myself, guard my wounds, guard my insecurities, but humility does not come naturally, and yet here's what we know, and this is kind of odd. When we see a humble person, we're attracted to them. When we see an arrogant person, we're repulsed by that. Isn't that true? And yet there's something in me and something in most of you and definitely in most of us as men, we want to guard our place. We want to guard our opinion. We, we never want to be wrong. We always want to be right. We always want to win the argument. There's something in us, especially guys, that makes it difficult to defer, to submit ourselves to other people because that requires humility and that doesn't come naturally for us. But in order to have an incredible relationship, it requires massive doses of humility. If you just got married, if you're planning to get married, if you hope to be married someday, if you're married and you've been married for a long time, it takes massive doses of humility to have an incredible marriage. And so now I want to take you through a passage of Scripture that describes how important humility is and the submission within the context of relationships. And then at the end, it kind of sets us up for the one big thing that makes such a big difference in relationships, the secret sauce. So, um, because it leverages everything that we've talked about so far. So in James chapter three, all right, James chapter three, he's gonna address all this stuff and I'm gonna pick this up in verse 13. Here's what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it, let let them show their wisdom in their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom is making decisions in light of reality. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is making a decision today based on where I want to be tomorrow. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is making a decision today based on what I know from the past. Wisdom takes all the context of life and it takes everything that's going on into account and it says who is wise among you let them show it in the humility that comes from wisdom and he kind of gives us a paradigm to follow i want you to see this diagram Uh, wisdom leads to humility which leads to wisdom wisdom leads to humility which leads to greater wisdom in other words whenever you meet a person and they lack humility Whenever you meet a person who lacks humility, you're meeting someone who, in all likelihood, lacks wisdom. Because wisdom comes from humility. 
Wisdom seeks humility, and, and when you find humility, that's when you really start to, to get into some wisdom. Uh, the only way to gain wisdom is to open yourself up to new things, to new ideas, to new, to new thoughts, to, to say to yourself and to others, I'm not going to hold so tightly to what I think I know. Um, I'm, I'm open to new things. The only way to gain wisdom is to hold our assumptions about things very loosely in our hands and say, here's what I believe, here's what I always thought, but you know what? I'm open to learning new things, and I'm open to the idea that it's possible I could be wrong. I, I could have been wrong all these years. I, I, I thought I knew, and maybe I'm right, but maybe I'm wrong. So humility leads to wisdom, but wisdom requires humility. Only an arrogant person says, I know everything there is to know, and I'm never wrong. Now, if you've ever met some of those people, and and you have, right? You've met people who say things like that. I'm never wrong. Don't challenge me. I'm not not wrong. Um, We don't like being around people like that. Here's, Here's what I would tell you. As I've gotten older, truly the one thing that stands out to me as I get older is the arrogance of youth. It's, it's just, let me say it this way. The older I get, the less I know. The older I get, the less I know. When I was younger, I thought I had it all figured out. I was much more dogmatic. Um, I was much sure about things. I would, I, don't, I never really liked to argue, but you know, I would at least debate a little more. Um, I don't really like that much anymore. As I've gotten older, I realize I have a lot to learn. There's a lot of stuff in the world I don't know. There are people that know more than me. And there are people that have had experiences that I haven't had. And if they have, I want to hear how that experience changed them. I want to know what's going on. The only way to gain wisdom is to live with open hands and say, here's what I I know, and here's what I believe, and here's what I've learned. But you know what? There's more to learn. There's more to gain. There's something maybe that I'm missing. I, I want to acquire more understanding. So wisdom leads to humility, which leads to wisdom, but humility is absolutely essential if you want to become wise. And and he goes on and he says this in James 3, verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. And this is kind of a a fancy first century way of, of pointing to something that we all know, that arrogant people kind of tip us off to the fact that they're arrogant just by the way they talk and just by the words that come out of their mouth. We were at Leadership Summit this week with the elders and staff. It's one of my favorite uh, times of the year when we get to go over there and be challenged and we try to grow as leaders and, and we hear just high level, um, high caliber stuff. But one person came out and was talking to us about blind spots. And they said, um, you know, you don't, you don't, they call them blind spots for a reason. You don't see your blind spots. And they said, here's the thing. The average person has 3.4 blind spots. Something that, that you don't even know is a problem, but everybody around you knows is a problem. Now that kind of makes you paranoid, doesn't it? It's like, what's mine? Well, here's, let me take one of them off the table for you, right? Here's one of the things that, that, we definitely do not see when we look in the mirror. When you look in the mirror, arrogance is not something that you see. A person who's arrogant doesn't realize they're arrogant. The people around them certainly recognize it. And if the person were to look at one of their friends and say, do you think I'm arrogant? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's not something that we see. 
but everyone who knows you might know it. It's not a secret. You don't know it, but everybody else does. And James alludes to the fact and, and that, that, you know what? You should be careful because in your boasting, in your boasting, you're denying what is true and you're denying that, hey, maybe you could be wrong. He says, you're tipping people off to the fact that you may lack wisdom and you may lack humility. Now we get to verse 15. Such wisdom and he puts it in quotes because it's really not wisdom, it's arrogance. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and self amb- selfish ambition, there you find, and this may define some of our relationships and our marriages, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You know what envy is? Envy is the manifestation of insecurity. Envy is, uh uh-oh, he or she has something, and I don't have it, and something's true of them, but it's not true of me, and I don't like that, and so I'm going to make some noise. And you'll you'll hear a woman say, I hate her. And somebody say, well, why do you hate her? I don't know. I don't even know how she walks around on those things, you know, like, just don't like her. Or, you know, you hear a dude say, I don't like him. Well, why don't you like him? Ah, I just don't like him. And the person will say, well, I think you don't like him because he drives a better car than you. No, that's not it. No, I, I think you don't like him because he's rich. I think that's why you don't like him. No, that's not it. You see, all of us, there's this secret yucky thing in us, and it's embarrassing, and it's, sometimes it comes out of us, it's envy. And envy is a manifestation of our insecurity, and insecurity is a manifestation of the fact that you need to learn something that you haven't yet learned about yourself or about the world. That you are harboring an assumption about yourself and about the world that is not true. But you're not willing to learn anything because you lack humility, so you carry around this thing that we call envy. And James begins to weave together all of these things, and he says, none of this comes from God. These aren't things that come from God. And, and it just creates chaos, and it, 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 it brings disorder and every evil practice into your relationship. And then he uses a very interesting word, but, which scripturally, a lot of times when you see that little three-letter word, what he's, what it, what's coming next is a contrast, okay? So as you read your Bible, when you come across the word but, you need to think to yourself, okay, there's a contrast on the way. Contrast, the wisdom that comes from heaven The wisdom that only comes because you have learned to embrace new things and have learned to be open to change and you've learned to be open to being wrong. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, and then I love this word, considerate. We don't use that word much anymore, right? We don't use the word considerate much anymore. We don't demonstrate it like we used to either. You know what considerate means? Considerate means I defer to you. I defer to you. Let's see the movie you want to see. Let's, let's go to eat where you want to go to eat. It doesn't have to be for me. You first. Here, this is an important thing I'm about to say, so lock in. It's hard to have an argument with two people who are constantly deferring to each other. It's hard for there to be disharmony among those two people. It's hard to argue with somebody who says, you know, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if I'm right. You might be right. Honey, I don't think so. Um, from where I stand, I, I don't think so, but you might be right. I mean, I'm willing to consider that you might be right. 
defer, be considerate. It's almost impossible to have a bad relationship with people who are willing to be considerate, open-handed. Maybe I have something to learn. Maybe, that, maybe there's something that, that's for me after all these years. Maybe there's something new for me. And then here's our word, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Here's what James is saying. He says, look, there's a humility that comes from heaven. There's a wisdom attached to the humility that comes from heaven. But the only way to have the humility that comes from heaven and the wisdom attached to the humility that comes from heaven is to live understanding that there is a God in heaven who knows more than you and knowing that you haven't learned it all and that you don't know it all. So so you have to learn how to live open-handed. You have to hold your assumptions. You have to hold the knowledge that you have in your hand, in your head, in your heart, openly. Uh, understanding that you could be wrong. Uh, there's a humility that goes with that. And that open-handedness needs to be reflected in the way you defer and treat the people in your life. And in our case, specifically the man and woman of our dreams. Our soulmate, or our cellmate, if you want to refer to him that way. The person we hope to have a happily ever after with. So relationally, when I realize I am wrong, I admit it. And when you confront me with the fact that I am wrong, I seriously consider it. And then when it dawns on me and God has shown me that I am wrong, then I embrace it. And in doing so, I've demonstrated humility that is an absolute requirement if I'm going to submit to my Father in heaven. And if I'm going to experience the kind of mutual submission with a person that I'm in relationship with. So back to our diagram. Um, I'm going to show you the diagram. I'll give you one thing. So ultimately, here's how it works. As I open my hand and as I say to God, God, I don't want my arrogance or my lack of humility to keep me from gaining the wisdom that comes from heaven. And consequently, I'm going to demonstrate the same open-handedness And that same sense of consideration and deferring to the person that I love. And as they live open-handedly and humbly, something powerful begins to happen in our relationships. Now, (coughs) excuse me, I'm getting ready to lose it. That is a lot of words about a simple idea. And that brings me to the one thing that I want you to do as a couple. And hopefully... This will illustrate just how powerful this is and how important it is. And even though it's uncomfortable, I'm just going to tell you, I want you to do this, okay? As your pastor, I want you to do this. This is going to be good for you. And the reason what I'm about to suggest is uncomfortable is because I don't think there is anything else a couple can do or any other practice that you can be engaged in that goes to the heart of arresting things in a relationship that can be used as an obstacle to mutual submission to each other and to God. And if you will begin to do this one thing, it will almost instantly surface all the crud, all the arrogance, all the ego, all the resistance to God's authority in your life. And your submission to one another will be just a a benefit from it. So here it is. Are you ready? You ready? Got your pens ready? You're not going to need a pen. I want you to pray together out loud on a regular basis. Magic sauce. Secret sauce. 
I want you to pray out loud together on a regular basis. Now, I know there's some men in here and they're going, Brett, I got this. I got this. I do this every night. Okay, kids, bow your heads. God is great. God is good. Now we thank him for this food. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. Brett, I got this. Every night, now I lay me down to sleep. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, Brett, it's a personal thing, and I didn't grow up in a home where we did this, and it's awkward. I'm talking about just you and your spouse, the love of your life, looking at each other and saying, let's pray out loud, and let's do that on a regular basis. Now, real quick, if when I said that, something in you started to grumble, how did he know? Because there's a lot of people in here who don't want to do this. There's a lot of people in here who are saying, that'll never work. That's no good. There's a lot of people in here, especially males, because we don't like to be told what to do, especially by another male. You're grumbling, and you're saying, I don't want to do that. This is so important. And even if you never do it, okay, I recognize some of you are going to hear this and walk out of here and look at your spouse and go, you know that ain't never going to happen, right? But even if you never embrace what I'm telling you to do, I hope that you pay attention to that thing that rose up in you when you resisted and when you said, I'm not going to do that. But I can give you a clue. It's not just unbelief. It's not just a theological problem that you've got. For most of you, you have a pride problem. If you're grumbling against this, you've got a pride problem. And there's some humility stuff going on with you. It's an I'm not comfortable and I don't want to do an uncomfortable thing even for the sake of my marriage. It's something you need to deal with. And if you never pray out loud on a regular basis with your spouse, you need to address what it is inside you that grumbled, that jumped up and said, oh no, we don't. You need to know what's causing that. You need to address where that's coming from. Now, if that's not enough, there was a study done years ago that discovered that Christian couples, of the Christian couples, only about 8% of Christian couples pray together out loud, 8%. Another study was done that reached the conclusion that of those 8%, only about 1% ever get a divorce of those Christian couples. But then there was another study that was done that was so amazing, even Dr. Phil quoted it in his book that he wrote a couple years ago, The Relationship Rescue, And in this book, he cites from a study that he felt was reliable enough, and you're not even going to believe this, and here's what he says in the book. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. An interesting statistic reflects that the divorce rate in America is at a minimum one out of two marriages. So you only have a 50% shot at this one way or the other, and you want to be on the right side of it. After you've made all the plans and spent all the money, believe me, I do weddings. I see how much planning and money spending goes on and how much you paid for the dress. And I know it's expensive. You owe it to yourself. If you're going to plan like that and spend like that, you owe it to yourself to get on the right side of this 50% thing. But he says this, but the reported divorce rate among couples that pray together is about one in 10,000. Maybe you didn't hear that. 
One in 10,000. Did you know that never in the history of public speaking or research or publishing has anybody ever given a list of three things or five things or seven things? No one's ever given any kind of statistic around any other behavior that had that kind of impact. Hey, if you do this, of these things, it will increase your chances of avoiding divorce that comes anywhere near the promise of this study. In fact, it's so astounding. Here's his next sentence. Pretty impressive, even if you reduce it a thousandfold. So the bottom line, if you don't remember anything else this morning, and this is going to sound corny, and I don't really care. This is really the truth. The couple that prays together stays together. That's really true. Now let's just be honest. Doesn't that make you just kind of want to go, oh. Doesn't that make you grumble a little bit? Because for some of you, your spouse right now is going, thank you, Jesus, I've been waiting for somebody to say this to my spouse. For some of you, this is just an uncomfortable thing. Now, I want you to do this, and I want to give you a couple of tips to help you get started, and I'm not trying to be silly. I'm really not. I, I just, I'm trying to kickstart something, okay, in you. But here are the things, here's some things to help you with this. Number one, short and awkward is better than long and flawless. All right? Short and awkward is better than long and flawless. Don't try to pray like me or try to pray like Kyle. Not that we have it all figured out. But here's what I'm going to tell you about the way I pray at the end of the prayers you hear me pray. I don't pray that way privately. My prayers are all disjointed. And I mean, when you're on a platform like this and everybody's out there and they're listening to your prayer, you clean them up a little bit, and you try to dress them up because just, it's just natural for us to do that. But my, my day-to-day praying is disjointed. It's extremely, excruciatingly honest. I say things to God you probably wouldn't believe. Confess things, you, you would go, really? So don't try to pray like what you hear up here. Don't think, oh, we got to, Brett, I can't pray like you. Why well, is asking you to pray like? I'm not asking you to do that. I don't want you to do that. Um, you don't need to pray like me. You just need to try this. You need to get in bed tonight. You need to reach over and grab her hand. Her hand. And say, God, I'm praying out loud and this is my first time. Amen. Okay? That's, That's all it has to be. Just try it. And wives, it might be you. He might be dying to pray with you, and you're the one giving the stiff arm saying, no, it's private. It's just mine. It's private. Even if it's that awkward and it's that short and it's that that unrehearsed, it's a start. It's a place to start. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be eloquent. Here's number two. Pray with each other, not at each other. Heavenly Father, I just pray that Jim would do a better job spending time with the kids. (laughs) And God, I want you to know I've forgiven him for what he said to his mother about me tonight at dinner. I just want you to know, no, 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 no. Not at, with. And if you have children, number three, pray together with your children and pray together often for your children. Let them hear you pray for them. 
Just start. And whatever the resistance is that you feel, push through it. Come on. We do this all the time. You, those of you who are runners that I don't understand because a bear's not chasing you, I, I don't. But, you know, you've got a goal. I'm going to run five miles. I'm going to run eight miles. And then you, you, there's a point where you go a distance you've never gone before and you push through. You push through it. You're working out. You're going to hit a weight you've never done before. At work, there's a goal. You want to hit it and you've never done it before. And you push through and you get it. We do this all the time. Whatever your barrier is, Brett, we just aren't getting along. I don't care. Grab her hand and say, God, we aren't getting along right now. I really don't like him or I really don't like her. God, Help us get through this. Amen. It can be that. Be honest. Now, I'm hesitant to include this next part, and you're going to see why. But praying together is intimate because prayer is intimate. Prayer is intimate. Now, I'm, I'm going to make, I'm, I'm going to say something. I'm not making a promise, okay? So don't email me three months from now and say, it didn't work. This is not a promise. But don't be surprised if as you develop greater spiritual intimacy through this prayer thing specifically as a couple, it does not enhance your physical intimacy. I'm not trying to bribe you. And all the guys are thinking, genius! Heck yeah, I'll pray with her. All I'm saying is there are similarities, okay? There are similarities between physical intimacy and this spiritual intimacy that you're going to enjoy if you start to do this. For example, you know, with physical intimacy, we would say this, we'd all say this spiritually. Never be critical of your spouse's prayer. Don't criticize it. Be spontaneous. Don't talk about it with other people. And don't go too long without it. Prayer is an expression of intimacy, just as physical relations is an expression of physical intimacy. In fact, I'm sure that some couple in here would say to me, Brett, we've got the physical intimacy thing down. We're, our, our relationship has never been better. It's very intimate. That's great. But are you completely intimate? Are you spiritually intimate? Do you stop down at regular periods and say, hey, let's just pray together? Do you have the kind of spiritual intimacy that would grow out of a simple prayer together? That is intimate. And you might say, Brett, we've got it all figured out. And I would say, unless you're doing this prayer part here, there's a whole pocket of intimacy that you don't even know about, that you haven't even experienced because you've never tried to do this. I'm telling you, you need to try to do this. Push through Give this a chance. This is the secret sauce. Pray together, out loud, on a regular basis. You will be glad you did. Your kids will be glad you did. And they will come to understand mom and dad are under the authority of God. Let me pray for you and pray that we can figure out how to do this. Okay, God, I know, I know. There are people in the room right now going, I do not, there's, how do you even do that? God, show them how. Help, help the couples in this room to have a conversation today where they say, let's try that. I know I, know, I don't know how to pray any more than you do, but let's try that. I know it's going to be awkward, 
but could we please do that? And God, I pray that if they would have the faith and they would extend the, 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 the faith to, to do that, that your faithfulness would, ex, would extend to them and they would come to know you in ways that would blow their mind, that their relationship would be better, would be, their marriage would be stronger, things going on with their kids would be better. God, help us to do this. It matters. It matters. And so, Father, I just pray the richest blessing possible on the people in this room that you, we know you love us and we love you. And I just, I pray that you would pour out blessings on these people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.